So we've got the big stuff there, and I've got the extended list here. We're yep, good. Yep, we're good. We're we're set. We've done our homework. We've we've got a plan. We have booze. booze. I've already been drinking. So has Tanya. We're good. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kersher. to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this is my co-host, Wendy. And we are here with... Me! Hi! I'm Tanya. Tanya is here with us to talk about meta films. Meta, so meta. It's going to get deep, but high, and wide, and yes. We're going to take outside in and inside out. It's going to look at it, but it's going to be like a... Like a Tardis Escher. <laughs> and we'll see how far the rabbit hole goes. Yes, exactly. Very, right? very deep down. <laughs> Tanya's a good friend of ours, Hi. and and I think she is very appropriate for the meta episode since she's a listener of the podcast, and yes. now she is suddenly part of the ah. podcast. See, reality is folding in upon itself, and soon she will be able to listen to herself yes. on the podcast. Which, oh, so meta! So meta. Well, and then I'll make a podcast about doing the podcast. And then I'll have a podcast about the podcast about doing the podcast. And and then it's turtles all the way down. Exactly. Yes, precisely. The meta cast. <laughs> and I actually, yeah, I am trying to get that going somehow. Eventually. <laughs> I have web space. Woohoo! <laughs> I have a web server for you. Woo! Oh, Melissa. So, yes. But before we proceed, we, we've been pre-gaming a little, so we're a little sauced already, even oh. though this is a... A, an odd number episode where it's supposed to be more sober. We're not. When Boy, you... next episode is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. So we we have opened a bottle of wine. It is Trapiche Oak Cask Malbec. From? from it's uh, Argentina. Yeah, it's Argentina. It's, I yes. like to say Argentinian. Uh, it is one of my favorite nationalities to ascribe to fictional characters. Okay. Simply because it is so fun to say Argentinian. Did you pick that up from Moulin Rouge? I was going to say yes, because a narcoleptic Are Argentinian. they narcoleptic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that phrase is perfect. Just then, a narcoleptic Argentinian fell through the ceiling. I would love that to happen to me. <laughs> there are so many syllables there. I know, and they're great, and they all just dick, 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 dick. It's so percussive and delicious on the tongue. And much like this Malbec from Argentina. I like a Malbec. I do. If anybody ever wants to gift me wine, Malbec is my mm-hmm. current fave. Ooh, it's got nice legs, too. Yeah. Um, this is... Wine has for... legs. Oh, yeah. it does. Let me see. Well, okay, yeah. so, so dear listeners, we are staring yeah. at our glasses. Oh, and what that's the legs what a leg are is. Yeah. On, I see. Yeah, when you, when you look at a glass and you kind of swirl the wine around mm. on the glass, okay. the good wines kind of stick to the sides, at least for red wines. Mm-hmm. They kind of stick to the sides and then kind of drip down... So it, almost like an oil, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of. yeah, yeah. That's how you know it's got some body. It's got some meat yeah. on its bones because a really watery, thin wine isn't going to have legs. It's mm-hmm. just going to drip right back down in. But a a good wine will will cling a little bit and then it'll slowly drip down, like melting on the sides of your glass. See, yeah. and I'm a whiskey girl, so I just chug it back. Oh and yeah, we're good. Yeah, Tanya's on Blue Moon right now, which is yeah. post Jameson. Post Jameson, yes. So we're cooling down after the jameson with mm. a, a pleasant blue moon hmm. a belgian white yes well that's racist okay so we've established that you're all for argentinians but not belgians i'm just saying <laughs> what what have you got could against be, belgians could it be French a caucasian fries. belgian please <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> yeah, you guys are drunk and I'm feeling sassy, so this is gonna go really well. Okay. Somebody start. Okay, all right. So, uh, so okay. I should say uh, okay, so when I answered oh, okay. my five questions, mm-hmm. I suggested this as an episode. And yes. so I suppose that makes it my responsibility to start. Also, something. we should explain. Uh, yeah, oh, we should. Yeah. We should. We should what discuss. We should discuss what um, meta films are. Yes, or at we least should, the definition well, that we are working under yeah. tonight. Yes. We we should define our terms. Yes, you should always do that in footnotes. I like footnotes. I am a woman of science. Science and alcohol—they go together. Science and yes. alcohol, so. because alcohol makes it sterile, and that makes it more scientific. Hmm. <laughs> 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 okay. This okay. is going to be a long episode, isn't it? Yeah, we're going right. to have a good time. Mm. All right. I hope okay. So, do. so, all right. So, mm. my original concept, I, I sort of subdivided it into three things in my brain. Right. There was the breaking the fourth wall, which is when somebody in the movie like turns to the audience and goes, uh-huh, "See, see what I did there? I'm talking about me in the movie." And um, the second thing was movies that talk about making themselves or um, the the production of a movie is the focus of the movie. Not just as a plot point, but like as um, uh, making the movie that you're watching. Exactly. Exactly. And then so the third thing, which we're not exactly going to cover because it can become really huge, was this idea of like art imitating life versus life imitating art and how movies in general are just kind of like that which we'll touch on lightly because otherwise that's like a whole other episode that's just about every movie ever, ever made yeah. you know so, really yeah. uh, although there's a third of the self-aware of tropes yes so without you know referring to the audience without referring directly to itself right. a movie that is self-aware of the tropes that is bringing up in a commentary upon um, those tropes. A, and i'll use one of our drive-by movies uh listeners what we have done is each of us have chosen uh, several films that we will personally uh, expound upon a little more in depth, but we have a whole list of what we're calling drive-by movies that are just drop-ins of, oh, by the way, this would also count. Mm-hmm. A perfect example of the self-aware of tropes category would be Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, yes. Right? So they they never turn and look at you. They never wink at you, but they're like, well, clearly, you know, we need to have a virgin, but I've slept with someone. It's okay. We're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need a jock. Except that he's a brain, but we're going to make him be a jock. And the way they they carve out the character tropes of it, the way they carve out we're going to a cabin in the woods. We have to have the creepy man who warns you. That's part of the ritual. Yeah, you have an analog for the audience. You have the... You know, these people in a lab that are in analog for the director. You have a person who is literally named the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very meta in that way, even though it's not directly turning to the screen and looking straight at you and going, huh? But any, any cliche you know from a horror movie will be put in there in such a way as to make it clear they are very consciously putting this in as a required element. Tick. Mm-hmm. And ticking the box. Right. But let's actually get into something a little bit more in depth. Tanya, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So I think I will start with Purple Rose of Cairo. Okay. Because that that was one of the first movies that came into my brain because it's literally people, characters coming out of the movie into real life. And that seemed very like definition of meta because they start having their own life outside of their character but they're still the character. And so then they have to go through and decide, well, do I go with this life that I've discovered outside or do I come back in and try and recreate what I was supposed to be scripted to do? And then like, am I really me or am I the character? And do I exist outside the movie? And do I not exist outside the movie? And it got very big in my brain when I watched it. Yeah. It still gets very big in your brain when you watch it. It does. Yeah. It's, it's got, that's Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Isn't yeah. It? Yes. Yes. I like him. In an Indiana yeah. Jones kind of rakish hat thing, too. Yeah, yeah. No, he he carries it off well. He does, he does. Both of him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the 
Woody Allen movies that I genuinely enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Which is really saying something for me because I've I've watched a lot of Woody Allen yeah. in an effort to understand Woody Allen. I don't know if I really want to understand Woody Allen anymore. Not anymore. But Purple Rose of Cairo is very charming. Well, and I think part of what makes it charming is he kind of stayed away from his own self. Yeah. As much. I mean, he, he was focusing on the industry mm-hmm. more than on his own personal demons. Yeah. Which I think makes it easier to palette, especially after we've learned all that we've learned. Right. Well, I used to have... There were two types of Woody Allen films. There were the films he was in... And where he was a character Mm. as himself. And there were the movies that he made that he wasn't in, which tended to actually be more enjoyable to me because (laughs) I don't enjoy Woody Allen's persona that much. Mm -hmm. And I, especially as time went on, I really didn't enjoy watching this increasingly decrepit old man continue to get it on with hot young women. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. But Purple Rose of Cairo Mm -hmm. was always, always terrific. Yeah, it's interesting to me when he writes a movie that centers around a female character. It tends to be pretty okay. Which is weird. weird. Which is very odd. Given what we... No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like Hannah and Her Sisters, which which centers around a trio of female characters. It's a fantastic film. I really enjoy that movie. But, you know, like Manhattan is really creepy. I don't like Manhattan. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, Purple Rose of Cairo. So, for those of you who have never seen it. Oh, yeah. I suppose. Okay. uh, Who is the lead female? Is it? Is it it Mia Farrell? Yeah, it is Mia. It's not Meryl Streep. It's Mia. Oh, yeah. It's definitely Mia Farrell. It's not Meryl. So, a character goes to see this matinee time after time after time because her life is so... Yeah. She's using it as an escape mechanism. She is... She wants to be in the movie, basically. Yeah, it's depression era. It's a period piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's this woman who's down on her luck. She doesn't have much for money, and she just is very drawn to this escapism of movies. And she goes to the movie... I can't remember if she's crying or not, but the star the main character mm-hmm. of the movie in the middle of the movie the movie stop he he stops what he's doing in the movie turns and looks and is like you're here all the time mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. really love this movie that much and so it immediately breaks the reality of the movie and then he steps out of the screen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they form a relationship and then then it gets crazy because, of course, all the other characters are stuck on the screen like, we can't finish the movie mm-hmm. until you get back up here. And the movie theater owner is like, I would like to make money by showing movies and I can't until you get back up there and finish the goddamn movie. <laughs> and Well, and he meets the actor, like the actor they call comes in. by to try and convince him. No, really, you have to. I'm the actor. You're the character. Go, go back. Do, do the thing. And the, Oh, but the really, the really sad, shitty, realistic part is he convinces Mia Farrow that he's in love with her and wouldn't you rather have something real with me than with something that is just a movie character and it can never be real and so she turns down the offer of love from the character in the movie he goes back to the movie and the minute everything goes back to normal the actor is like see ya i remember that part and i remember Mm -hmm. because i remember seeing it and being like i know that's realistic but that's fucking depressing yeah i don't like that part but it is, yeah, it's really enjoyable. It, it's a fascinating And movie. there's lots of commentary about the movie industry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and about actors and the characters they play. And the role of women in the Depression era. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful little movie. There's so much going on in a very simple little premise. It's actually a very small movie, yeah. 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 It, did it do well box office? I don't remember, but it it's one of those movies that it came out and it kind of garnered a following yeah. and it's just kind of been beloved all and these years. It's not years. exactly cult, but it's definitely well known. Yeah. Yeah. Like people who watch movies have seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And has seen it and love it. All right. Uh I feel like in looking at my list, I'm going to follow up The Purple Rose of Cairo with Probably the most obviously meta, which would be the last action hero. Yay! 
where literally the plot revolves around every trope of action movies, <laughs> making sure that the boxes get ticked off because you can't move forward until you do. And I personally love the conceit. So a boy gets basically a Willy Wonka golden ticket mm -hmm. where he can bring characters out of movies into real life and he can go into movies as well mm -hmm. that's that's the fun part that's the fun part when he <laughs> steps into the movie with arnold schwarzenegger that gets super enjoyable yeah. <laughs> because and the reason why you love meta movies is because you get the joke and mm -hmm. you get to yeah. feel smart right that's why you like them because you're like i've seen so many action movies and it's also why i think sometimes meta movies don't do well is people who don't get the tropes or don't appreciate the tropes or just feel like, oh, it's so obvious. Uh. Well, and, and that was doubly the situation with Last yes. Action Hero. That's the reason why it failed at the box because office. Because the, the critics didn't know what to do with well, it. Well, like... nobody knew what to do with it because it was not marketed to the right audience because yep. they, they had, this was a post-diehard John McTiernan directing an action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so everybody was expecting a yeah. by the numbers yep. action, action movie. movie. Yeah. And the and the trailers were advertising yes. a bind of the numbers. I remember kind of weird action movie. But but when you get in the theater, that's not what it is. I, it's a satire. No, it, it yeah. was. I was a latecomer to it. I, I avoided it for years because I was like, that's just a stupid another Schwarzenegger, oh look at me with my big muscles. And and I could <laughs> <laughs> that was a really bad source of that was amazing no i kind of loved it okay but you know but like but like it took my my film friends like melissa and wendy and and other people to be like no really you should watch this because it's not what you thought it was but yeah because they marketed it totally toward the schwarzenegger big guns guys and it just it's not and the, and it's such a sweet story too yeah mm -hmm. but it's also if you're like me, somebody who's always been like, I would love to be in that movie. That would be so fun. When the kid goes into the movie. So first he brings Arnold Schwarzenegger to his world because he's his favorite action star. And then he goes into the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's got this magic ticket. And the fun, wonderful things that happen in the movie, like all phone number. And the kid is like trying to prove to him you're in a movie. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not. This is reality. This is the way... What are you even talking about? It's like, all phone numbers start with 555. How many could that possibly be? Do the math on that. There is no way that that would work. How do you make that work? And Schwarzenegger just looks at him. Area codes. <laughs> well, and the part where they go to the precinct, like the life that exists yeah. in the movie world behind the movie, and there's like the, all the buddy cops scenarios. And yes. Like, and that one, and that one. Oh, and, and the animated cat. Yes! <laughs> and we've got Lethal Weapon over here. We've got the cop with the dog. We've got this over here. So any... Any, any movie trope you can think of gets sort of, oh, look, right back there in the corner so that it turns into a love letter for people who watch a lot of movies to go, I get it. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Oh, my God. I remember that. Ah, I love when they go to Schwarzenegger's house and he and he like has a ritual as he walks in of there's going to be an assassin there. There's going to be a ninja there. I have to get in a fight here. This is where I pull my gun and shoot somebody coming out of the closet. He's like, oh, my God, there was a ninja in the closet. There's always a ninja in the closet. <laughs> I remember that line. There's always a ninja in the closet, kid. Don't you know how the world works? <laughs> Where do you live? This is fucking Los Angeles. There's always a ninja in the closet. And then, of course, there's the fun of... So, and, and it gets in... I, the actual plot where the, the villain gets the ticket and starts bringing out all the villains, it gets... That's fine. The fun is just wandering around well I think, yeah i think part of why it gets less fun when he starts doing that is because that's when it becomes a trope in itself yeah you, you know what the villain's going to do because the villain becomes his own trope yeah, yeah. and and also the it gets less fun when although more interesting when schwarzenegger steps back out yes. of the movie and is impacted by how things work in real life yes and and that the hard realities, this yeah. hard, sad, disappointing, depressing realities of, of real life, of real life, yeah. of real death. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Hey, here's a drive-by. Uh, you can actually get meta stories. One of my favorite uh, Stephen King short stories, novellas, is Umni's Last Case, mm -hmm. which is a noir, mm -hmm. which would make a great movie. Oh, God, it would. It's a noir where the character is tracking down what's going on. And then as the story unwinds and it gets to the conclusion, what is happening is his life is being taken over by the author who is writing his story. Mm -hmm. And the author is dying of cancer and is like, I figured out how to take your place. And if I come into your world, I don't have to die of cancer. So we're going to switch places now. And I'm going to be you. And you get to go be me. And then the character wakes up in the real world mm -hmm. and is like, what the shit is this awfulness? <laughs> and what I really remember is a moment he's like, uh, yeah, I discovered defecating. <laughs> because yeah. in a yeah. book, they never do. do. You, you and he, and he, yeah. he talks about like, you know, it was horrible. It was unexpected. And he had to clean himself up. And he's like, Jesus, is this what happens? How do you people live like this? Which is ironic in a Stephen King story because Stephen King does talk about shit quite a bit. Yeah, yes. he does. He does. <laughs> but I, I loved that and... moment. Yeah. And yeah. it's that sort of. It's that viewpoint on stories and storytelling and characters and and the way we interact with characters, the way we inhabit them and we we invite them into our lives and we all of that all of that. I just love it. And that reminds me, what was that movie? It had Emma Thompson as an author and Will Ferrell in That's one of his Stranger Than Fiction, which is one of my picks. Which we'll is get you to know you what later. You know what? Let's go into it. Why not? We, we'll do a back to back Wendy. Sorry, picture. I just That's totally. Okay. Okay. I forgot okay. that was the title. Yes. I know. No, 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 no. It's, it's fine. It's good. Stranger, Stranger than, than fiction. fiction. I, I love it mm -hmm. so much. It's proof to me. Will Ferrell. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. 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 I mean, I, I was, I was late to the Will Ferrell train because mm -hmm. you know the goofy, weird comedy, the mm -hmm. uncomfortable comedy. I don't always get on board with. Elf. I fell in love with, and then after a while, I, I kind of was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go with it because I kind of loved Anchorman, and then I even saw Talladega Nights. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna accept this. But I think the breaking point was when I could respect him in Stranger Than Fiction. Then I could understand that he wasn't actually that stupid. Okay, so briefly, the plot: there's a man, and there's narration happening about his life, which is a trope in movies, except. What gets established very quickly is that the man can hear the narration. Mm -hmm. And he, mm -hmm. he's like, what? Who's talking? Wait, what? And like it describes like as he's going through the files and it sounds like the ocean. He's like, oh, my God, I have always thought it sounds like the ocean. How do you know that? Who's talking right now? And he has to start investigating what's happening to him. And he, he eventually stumbles on Dustin Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Dustin Hoffman puts the pieces together that it's actually Emma Thompson, who's this famous author, is actually writing a story that's about him. And he's like, what? And then there's like the actual story. So there's two stories going on, which is one is the story of the story being written and one is the story that is being written. And the story that is being written is him meeting and falling in love with Maggie Gyllenhaal. And they're, they're very sweet, awkward. He's an auditor for the IRS and he has to go audit her books. And she's like all alternative and hippie. And she's like, you're the man and I fucking hate you. And, but, and he's uptight, but then he slowly kind of unwinds and it's sweet and it's funny and it's delightful. And then at the same time, there's this whole, wait, I heard the voice say that I die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I don't want to die. Can we figure out the part where I don't <laughs> die, please? And and there's a great moment that happens late in the film where Dustin Hoffman gets the finished like outline from Emma Thompson. She hasn't finished writing it. I forget how it quite how it works but he finds out the way it's going to end and he reads it and then he's like oh my god this is the best you've ever written this is a brilliant piece of art and he's trying to convince will ferrell to go through with it <laughs> yeah it, that and and when did will Fer i can't remember whether he actually met emma thompson i, I think he does i think he does for like a brief minute and he's yeah. just like i just wanted you to know 
I am who he, you know, and he's trying to explain, you're you're going to kill me. me. This is me. I'm I'm this. Oh, and Queen Latifah's in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the meta of the, which which comes into play with adaptation, which we'll touch on later, the meta of writers having to do the writing and the ways they trick themselves into writing about... Mm. And so you end up with a movie that's about a writer about writing is that you have a writer who's writing about writing that is very definitely writing about themselves having to write this movie. Yes. And it it, it becomes sort of Ouroboros where you're just eating your own tail. And the delight and the delightful relationship between Queen Latifah, who's her assistant, trying to get her to write and quit being a crazy pants author. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, it's. Oh, it's so good. And as a side note, when I saw this movie, I saw it in a dollar theater. (laughs) Now, dollar theaters do not always get the best cuts of movies. Sometimes they're not finished, uh, per se. So the version I saw had boom mics all over the fucking film. Oh, that's not the cut of the movie. It's how they frame it okay, on well, the projector. However it they, was. They, they put a mask on the projector to block out okay. parts of the shot. So they masked it wrong in well, the theater. However, yeah. they, I saw boom mics every fucking where. Yeah. That meted it up for me. <laughs> because I was like, shit, are they doing like that this is a movie about the writer writing the book? Well, yeah, about that the... really would be just be like... Because I, like, I, I, I was on Live Journal back then because it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, dude, somebody who's seen this movie, tell me if you saw the fucking boom mics and what the hell it meant. Because I was like freaking out. I'm like, now they're making this thing about, wow, this is a whole production about how they're filming and how, you know, and I just went off and... Yeah. No, but I mean, it still works. Yeah. It does, but it was just like this whole other meta layer. And You know what? Stranger Than Fiction is a romantic comedy for people who don't like romantic comedies. It is. Right? We could have put that in the Kelvin episode. We could have. It's that was true. a very long episode, though. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was a very but good it, episode. Because the, the central main storyline is a sweet romantic comedy. It's also a uh, a journey of a character discovering himself and, mm-hmm. and the life that he truly wants instead of the life that he that he has chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many tropes going on there. It's so, yay! But, well, and the lottery ticket trope, too. Yeah. yeah. But mostly it's the pure gold of somebody who can hear the narration. I will always love that. <laughs> it's Melissa's turn. Yes, yeah. it is my turn. So, my turn, I'm going to select Seven Psychopaths. Okay. Which has this trope of a movie whereupon the character who is experiencing this plot eventually writes the script of the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because you also see that in stuff like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang uh-huh. and in various other movies. Um, Seven Psychopaths, if you have not seen it, um, it was recently one of our picks for um, underappreciated movies on the website. I still need to see it. It's on my yes. list. I just, you know. It, it, is, it is brought to us by the people who did In Bruges, Yay! which is also a fantastic movie. Side note, speaking of movies that had terrible trailers that did not do yeah. them justice and yeah. sold them absolutely wrong. Yeah. I rented In Bruges because the trailer I saw sold it as a wacky comedy. <laughs> Which means that the first time I watched in Bruges, I was pissed because that was not a wacky comedy. That was not a wacky comedy. And that was not the movie I wanted. Seven Psychopaths may be more of a wacky comedy. Huh. Although a very dark wacky comedy because what? there are seven psychopaths. There are in seven this movie. psychopaths. <laughs> and I think two of them die I- in the first scene. It's it's kind of wonderful. But it, it the thing I love about Seven Psychopaths is it's it has this wonderful verve to it that you usually see in like um, mid nineties movies. They're trying really hard to be Tarantino esque in the wake of Pulp Fiction, <laughs> but this was made only a couple of years ago. Oh, and, and so it, much energy! Yeah, and there, there's all this the, the the energy of like the mid nineties indie boom is mm-hmm. all in this movie, and also it's got this wonderful look to it in that it first of all kind of portrays the grime and grit of los angeles and the desert around it 
but it has all these vibrant and poppy colors, so it doesn't it doesn't go the obvious grimy uh-huh. um, look. It it's got this kind of airy quality to it, and then there you've got Sam Rockwell being <laughs> Sam Rockwell, which and is a fantastic thing, which is a fantastic thing, and Christopher Walken in one of the weirdest roles I have ever seen Christopher Walken. I in. can't even wrap my head around that. It is, and it and it's bizarre in ways you don't even think about. I mean, it, it you wouldn't even think about this would be a really weird Christopher Walken role, but no, this is really very very strange. <laughs> there are neckerchiefs involved. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do, does he go full champagne? Kind of. Really? Kind of. Not, not the, not the let me lure you into my hotel room part, but neckerchiefs. Wow. Neckerchiefs. Yeah, it, it's, it is a very vibrant movie. I think in the end it doesn't quite all come together, but boy, does it ever throw a lot of material at the screen with, with a <laughs> lot of gusto. Like grabbing the pasta and just throwing it at the wall. Like Tom Waits just shows up for 30 seconds. And, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's that sort of stuff. It's, okay. it's pretty fantastic. That rivals David Bowie and Zoolander. I mean, I know, right? It, what? It, why you're, that's on the, that's hey, happening. That, that's Tom Waits in a phone booth making a creepy phone call and there are rabbits involved. I don't understand. <laughs> but so, it's there. Wow. So you're, what you're saying is the protagonist has, the experiences a story and by the end is writing down the story and we have just yes. watched the story that he wrote down. He is a struggling screenwriter <laughs> struggling screenwriter in Los Angeles ah. getting material through uh-huh. this series of antics that his friends have somehow wrapped him into into the gritty underworld. The, of Los Angeles. The gritty underworld of Los Angeles. So much like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang without Robert Downey Jr., which I, I admit is a failing, but, no. you know. Yeah. Or oh, Val Kilmer. Kiss Bang... And oh, Val Kilmer. Okay, drive by Kiss yeah. Kiss Bang Kiss Bang, Kiss Bang Bang. Which is very meta in terms of noir tropes. Yes. 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 Um, with so so many pieces there's a there's voiceover there's this is there's even a part where he's like self-referential he's like well this is the part where this would happen and what do you know it's gonna happen huh Mm -hmm. look at that Mm -hmm. uh but that's not why you watch kiss kiss bang bang you watch it because val kilmer and robert downey jr (laughs) are having a fucking great time (laughs) yes if you look in a dictionary under the definition of stupid you know what you see my picture no a definition of the word stupid which you are (laughs) <laughs> so tanya it is your turn oh it is um it is. adaptation let's Ad- do that one next adaptation since we're talking about authors doing things to create their craft that oh, become mm-hmm. the thing that you watch adaptation is oh jesus so many layers yeah because because and i learned this from npr <laughs> So the screenwriter writing the screenplay for adaptation, Charlie Kaufman, yep, was supposed to write the adaptation of a novel that the studio had optioned, The Orchid Thief, and he couldn't do it. Yep. <laughs> He's like, fuck, I don't know. And so he starts instead writing about himself writing, but he's like going all insane because he can't fucking get over his writer's block. And the whole movie is just this delve into, like, there's parts of the book that are happening, but at the same time, he's writing the book as it happens, and it fucked with my head. Well, I I love that the movie, I mean, we talked about adaptation in our philosophy episode. Except that that nobody remembers what happened because we were so (laughs) drunk. We are only slightly more sober right now, so. Oh, I feel like we were way drunker then. Oh, we were... I don't know where you're at, but I don't remember how that evening ended. Yeah, I... Mm-hmm. Rob Callahan, you're a bad influence. <laughs> I blame you, Rob. But anyway, um, adaptation, not only is the story of Charlie Kaufman writing about Charlie Kaufman writing an adaptation of the book of The Orchid Thief, which is not going well, he writes in his own twin brother who does not exist. Yes. And his own twin brother is like the embodiment of Hollywood. And what Hollywood would do with the story, mm-hmm. and and the and as the movie shows what's going on in the book, 
it shows the push and pull between the two brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get this the the evil twin. Yeah, because I I decided that the Hollywood thing was evil, like jumping in and going, and then he grabs like a nunchuck or something, and it does this big action sequence, and and he's like, but that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and and he's like, yeah, but it'll sell, and there are people in the seats, and you can just see this dichotomy of of. Like a network versus a creator trying to argue over staying true to the work versus staying true to what people are interested in. Like you hired me to adapt the Orchid Thief, but that's not going to sell tickets (laughs) and I don't know what to do. Exactly. But if I if I make it a movie that will sell tickets, it's not going to be the Orchid Thief. Well, and then mm-hmm. you and then you get Meryl Streep playing the woman in the Orchid Thief, and there's all this drug shit that's going down, and and yeah, that's that part's awesome. <laughs> I love, I love that Cooper. moment. Oh, and Chris Cooper. Oh yeah, Chris Cooper with no teeth. But, but the the <laughs> yes. best part in yes. the whole goddamn movie is Meryl Streep having this long Meryl Streep moment, like grabbing <laughs> for an Oscar moment of the contemplation, and finally winding up with. We have to kill him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is just... Yes. Oh, it's so uh, wonderful. Okay, so here's why it's so meta. Because on the one hand, leaving aside... Okay, first there's a writer writing about writer's block. That That's yeah. very meta. But the what the twin does mm-hmm. and the way that comments on what Hollywood wants what Hollywood thinks we want and how you can shape a story to give Hollywood what it thinks people want to see all of that stuff which is beautifully encapsulated in the three which we've talked about (laughs) on the podcast before which is the ridiculous movie that the twin writes (laughs) Mm -hmm. where there's a victim Mm -hmm. a psycho killer and a cop but they're they're three characters but they're all one because he's got multiple personality (laughs) disorder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was actually a movie that got made <laughs> because fucking, fucking Hollywood <laughs> because fucking Hollywood and the way that plays into yes how the orchid thief is getting written and and even just the little beautiful moments of when Charlie Co- Charlie Kaufman who is Nicolas Cage <laughs> is sitting there and he's as like, opposed to Donald Kaufman who is also Nicolas Cage <laughs> but but I mean that's how meta it is that the character the main character in the movie is Charlie Kaufman who's trying to write the orchid thief I mean that's how meta it is because that's what's really happening. <laughs> and so eventually Charlie Kaufman gave up trying to write The Orchid Thief and just wrote how he couldn't write The Orchid Thief. And a studio gave him money to do that. And that's what's brilliant and wonderful about it. And we have this movie and we love it. <laughs> and it's so wackadoo. <laughs> and yet at the same time, so beautiful mm-hmm. and a and heartbreaking too. Ah, oh, you just want to sort of, oh, Charlie, I get it. I've been there. Where you, just, <laughs> you just circle around and around and around something you're supposed to do. And you're like, I can't get a handle. There's nothing to grab onto here. I don't know what to do with it. Oh, it's horrifying. And the way he, he's sitting there at the typewriter just staring, he's like, I can have a cup of coffee after I write a paragraph. I can have a cup of coffee after I write. I'll get a cup of coffee and then I'll write a paragraph. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm going to skip over Wendy because I have one. Well, no, it's true because I did two in a row. So right. it's all good. I'm going to skip over Wendy because I've got one that I think follows this up very well. F for Fake. Mm. F for Fake is a documentary made by Orson Welles. In... I have not. How have I not heard of this? I don't know. But you it's... have fallen down on your duties, my oh. friend. <laughs> I can, I will show you Effer Fake. Effer Put it fake, on the list. Effer Fake is amazing. So Effer Fake is a documentary that Orson Welles started making about a man who forges classic art paintings. Yeah, it's really cool. But the the opening of the movie um, shows Orson Welles, you know, well-dressed at a train station doing card tricks for a child at a train station and eventually like producing a rabbit out of his coat or something, you know, just because Orson Welles was very interested in magic and he uses it as a setup for saying, I am going to use this film to lie to you. And literally he flat out says this 
in the documentary, I am going to lie to you during this film. And so he starts out with this fairly factual um, story about this art forger and um, how he accomplished what he did and how there are still paintings in museums done by this art forger. And in the later portion of the film, this is kind of a spoiler, folks, so I'm very sorry. He Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! He starts telling the story about Picasso. And it's a very involved story, and it goes on for like 20 minutes. And eventually he gets to a point where he goes, I've been lying to you for the last 15 minutes. (laughs) So he, he takes the format of the documentary... And he uses it to sell you on more and more and more stories until he gets to a point going, that that part right there, that was not true. For as interesting as it was, that was not true. Huh. He was a very brilliant man. He was. He was. And F for Fake, I cannot remember, but it was one of his last movies. It was one of the last things he ever did. It's a brilliant film. It sounds well. Really yeah, I mean, cool. because it would be so easy to just make a documentary about somebody who makes forgeries, but he took it that extra step of, yeah. I'm making a forgery of the information as well. Yeah. So how can you trust me? Yeah. If we've already established that there are people out there who make art that is a lie, mm-hmm. how can you trust me that I'm telling you the truth about it? Right. Precisely. Which is very deep and very appropriate for our current state. Of the world. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? It just the fact that it's Orson Welles, you know, giving Ooh. his. I mean, seriously, he radiates gravitas. Oh, he, yes. Because he's got a gravity well. He does. <laughs> he literally does. And, and, you know, in that point in the 70s, he was. Yeah. He, he had things in orbit around him, mostly <laughs> wine bottles, but, and, and chickens, as I hear. <laughs> or peas. <laughs> Frozen peas. Frozen peas. I am hungry because every time we mention food, I think about eating it. (laughs) I'm turning into Orson Welles. (laughs) All right. All right, Tanya. Zingo. It's your pick. Uh, Do I want to go heavy or do I want to go super light? Well, you can go being John Malkovich and follow the Charlie Kaufman route. Yes, let's let's do that because Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Yes, this was a brilliant movie. I love it so much. Now, wait, who wrote that? Charlie Kaufman. Oh, yeah! Oh, Oppa! Okay, so being John Malfoy. <laughs> I'm not drunk. He, being John Malfoy. <laughs> being John Malkovich. Malfoy. 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 Okay, Malkovich. Malfoy. Um, is Mafuni? <laughs> John Mafuni? John Mafuni? Oh Mufuni. shit! I want to see that movie. I yeah. know, right? Oh. 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 Can you imagine though? Can you imagine when everything Malkovich, Malkovich, Mufune, 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 and then a lot of grunting (laughs) and real arrows and real fucking arrows. All right, men 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 don't grunt like they used to do in (laughs) Kurosawa movies. You know, it's so true. It's a lost art. It's a lost art. (laughs) Kurosawa knew male grunting. He really did. I want it on a, I want it on a badge ribbon. I want a badge ribbon at Convergence this year. Kurosawa new, new male, male grunting. Xanadu <laughs> Cinema Pleasure. Ding, ding, ding. There you go. Okay, so being John Malkovich starts out where uh, there's a puppeteer doing a very intricate and very lovely, oh my God, puppeteer, yay, um, performance on a street corner because nobody's paying him to do his lovely puppeteering. Because they, puppeteering is not a respected art form. Which is so sad. Yes. Anyways, um, so, but then, you know, so he's got relationship problems and he's, is this what I want to do with my life? And this is my art, blah, blah, blah. And he finds this, what is it? The 13th and a half floor? 7th and a half floor. 7th and a half floor, where there's this tiny door. When you go in the tiny door, you suddenly possess John Malkovich, the actor. 
not just like John Malkovich, a uh, dude, the actor, because yeah, the real John Malkovich, you, you enter John Malkovich yes. and you have control of him. And John Malkovich, the person who was there previously goes away. You can puppeteer John, John Malkovich. Malkovich. Wait, yes, very much so. And in fun and interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's it's meta because because John Malkovich learns of the seventh and a half floor and goes into himself. And what happens when you enter yourself? It's it's so redundant and so meta that it's a singularity of yourself. So everyone looks like him. Everyone talks like him. Thus, everyone speaks his name, and that's how they communicate. And that's. All they say is Malkovich. 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 Yes. Malkovich. But it's beautiful because there's this whole story of performance and puppeteering and is the art and then puppeteering a real person versus puppeteering like, are you a puppet yourself? Like, who's going into your head and puppeteering you when you're not paying attention? And I'm really drunk. Wow. <laughs> but also the commentary on I I particularly like this sort of it's sort of off to the side a little bit, but the comment about how you can use fame to your own advantage. Yes. And that, you know, if you already are respected, you can you get respect no matter what you do. Because John Cusack goes into John Malkovich, takes him over, and makes John Malkovich give up acting and become a puppeteer. And suddenly puppeteering is really, is huge and everybody's doing it and everybody's talking about how artistic it is. And it's the same thing he was doing and he hasn't really changed. It's just now that he's John Malkovich, suddenly he's respected. And I think we all feel that way about things like, look, I'm just as good as that person, but that person's famous. So they get all the kudos Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they get to... They get all the cachet of doing it, and I'm doing it just as well, but I'm not famous. How do I get famous? And then I get to be respected, right? Right? There is also something I found disturbing about it. Well, there are a lot of disturbing uh, yeah, things about there, that. Yeah. Well, for me, it was that this old man who had been doing this repeatedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they establish while. how many lifetimes he taken over? But he had decided... Because he knew all about this, and there's a certain key point where it locks in, like... like for permanent For permanent. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I think this time I'm going to bring friends along with me. And that's the really weird f- thing from that movie that most I'm like, that fucking what? <laughs> Trapped for eternity well, in somebody's brain with, like, 20 other people. <laughs> Because it's not like one or two buddies or his wife that he's bringing yeah. with him. No, he's it's like, like a dinner party. Yeah. 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 Like, hey, we're going to be in this guy's brain forever. And every and I'm just like, I can't imagine being stuck with people forever until they die. But the plan is that. They'll just keep doing it. They'll just keep doing it. And then mm-hmm. they'll take over the next because this is a reincarnation thing. Yeah. Because. Yeah. It just happened to be John Malkovich this time. Yeah. And they're after the moment, the next baby born after that yes. becomes the next vessel, and that and poor John Cusack gets stuck in that baby, and, and it's all yeah, yeah. And there's really weird things with Catherine Keener and yeah, and uh, yeah, Cameron Diaz, Cameron Diaz. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fascinating movie, a lot going on there, and I feel like we should do a drive by at this point to mention Synecdoche, New York. Yes, which is also by the same writer. Which Charlie, is Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman and likes I, I, to write big <gasps> stories. Yeah. What if Charlie Kaufman is really Andy Kaufman? <laughs> so all Jews named Kaufman are really Andy Kaufman. Is that what we're saying? No, but Kaufman <laughs> had this whole meta thing about am I really dead? And I'm going to pull this prank where I fake my own death. His and... comedy towards the end there was very meta. That was very meta. Yeah. The whole res- fake wrestling thing, but it was yeah. really real. And is it? Yeah. Yeah. Wrestling is meta. Wrestling is very meta. So, Charlie <laughs> Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. Synecdoche, not Donald Kaufman. Not Donald Kaufman, no. who is the not three. real. 
the three. So Charlie Kaufman also did um, Synecdoche, New York, and mm-hmm. also Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I have not seen, oh. which I feel like I probably would mention here if I'd seen it. But Is Synecdoche, it? New York. I, I saw Wait, Confessions. Was, was Confessions yeah. the one about the, the, the game the, show host? That Oh, no. I, was, I w- could swear I saw it. But I can't remember it that well, so I'm not going to yeah. talk any further. So, Synecdoche, New York, is this really deep, depressing art film um, that features Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. As oh, a know. theater director who becomes obsessed with creating a simulacrum of New York City on a stage. And when he creates the simulacrum of new york city on the stage in new york city it means he also much must have a smaller stage within that new york city that is creating a simulacrum of new york city on a stage and so, and on. so on and so on and so on so it's very recursive in recreating the story recreates itself in levels upon levels upon levels okay can you watch this movie drunk I don't recommend it. Okay, that's what I kind of thought. Because even just listening yeah, to you talk yeah. about it, when I'm a little tipsy, is like, what? <laughs> well, it's like it's like the mirror thing that you do, and when you have like a three way mirror, and you stand in the middle, and you go on forever. Okay, put it on the list. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> okay, here's what's funny. As we were working through the list, and people were picking what they wanted to talk about, a movie popped into my head that I'm like, that's. I don't see it on the list. So as we got all the way through the list, I'm like, do you know what's not on the list? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And both of these two made this noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. I played Rosencrantz. (laughs) I did. I did. It's true. I did. So Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Now... I can't imagine a world where people who love movies haven't seen this, but if you haven't, well, it's it it's one of those little quiet indie movies that came out in the late nineties. It's Tom fucking Stopper. It's Tom Stopper. No, it's a fantastic play and it's a fantastic movie script. I do own both. It's got but Tim Roth, Gary Oldman, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, yes. But the thing is, is it happened before. Tim Roth and Gary Oldman were really a big thing. Yeah, it, that that yeah. is true. That is true. So it's this quiet little film that was very cheaply made. Actually, yes. Well, and inexpensively made, I should say. It, it yeah. looks great. No, it looks amazing. But it, it didn't require and much money. And it is money. a really great adaptation of the source material. It's yes. fantastic. That is yes. not an easy play. Okay, no. so for those of you who don't yeah. know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is a line from the play... Hamlet, about two incredibly minor characters they have in like, the play. They have like four lines. Hamlet. Yeah. So what Tom Stopper did, and I'm starting to sound a little drunk and I apologize. <laughs> what Tom Stopper did is he wrote a play that is telling Hamlet from the point of view of these two very minor characters with the added twist that these characters are aware of the fact that something is wrong. <laughs> they don't remember what came before. Or after. They don't know what's going to happen next, but they feel like it's happened before and it keeps happening. And so the reason it's on the list of meta is that what is really in essence happening is these two characters, every time a performance of Hamlet happens, they are drug out of the dark of limbo. Where are we? Where did we come from? I don't know. Well, we're supposed to do this thing. Wait, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And they're thrust on stage where they, out of nowhere, are talking to the king who literally is doing a Mm drive-by. Like in the movie, Mm -hmm. it's great because they're just like, what? And so snippets of the play Hamlet happen and you can see the characters being like, I don't know what's going on, but I say these lines and they come out of my mouth and, and then the king goes away and they turn to each other and they're like, we're supposed to do what? Glean what afflicts him. Okay. And so if you know Hamlet, you know what else is going on. But now you're picturing that in a room next door, there are these two characters like look at each other. What are we, what's going on? What are we supposed to do? And they fumble their way through their required elements 
which eventually lead to them being betrayed, sent off to England, where they are, then executed because of a note that Hamlet sent along with them because he's a jerk. <laughs> and so, and they're, because Hamlet is a play that is performed so often, they're kind of aware of the fact. So there are these like flashes that they get throughout the production, throughout the play of like, wait, I have a memory of us, of a darkness and wait, where are we going? What's going to happen to us? And it's a brilliantly constructed play because the cycle of their life and the never ending that this is just what all it's very <laughs> it's very waiting for Godot um, <laughs> yes, that yeah. this is the never ending cycle of their life is hinted at and brought up in very subtle ways again and again and it makes you appreciate the play Hamlet in a different mm -hmm. way and it makes you look at these characters and like any any play like wait let's contemplate for a moment this small character in this story what were they doing before and when their role is done what are they doing after <laughs> well and add on to the top of that richard dreyfus as the actor yeah yes which is both a premise for how they enter the story every time but also referencing the fact that there is an acting troupe in hamlet and Richard Dreyfus is like playing parts throughout their scenario as they follow the Hamlet plotline, mm -hmm. and yet he's also acting as a director in certain yes. parts. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's kind of this analog for Shakespeare himself. Yes, for Shakespeare and for Tom Stoppard and for Tom and Stoppard, and 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 there's additionally the scene where you know in Hamlet there's a play within a play where mm -hmm. Hamlet is trying to suss out mm -hmm. where. You Which know, they if, go through. If, if, Cla if Claudius has, is a murderer by showing a murder as it happened, mm -hmm. supposedly by Claudius. Well, if they put on that play showing Claudius's murder, well, the murder that Claudius did, well, of course, there has to be a play within the play of Hamlet showing the play to Claudius. And it keeps going and going and going and going. Yeah. Down, 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 yeah. down. Turtles all the way down. And... It's a funny script. It's a dark oh, script. It's oh, a brilliant script. It, it, it's oh. got the wordplay that Stoppard is so good at. There, there the is tennis ball scene. The, the tennis scene <laughs> with questions is amazing. Oh. Because it is both funny and yet it gets to a deeply existential level. Mm -hmm. Poignant. Of, wait, what are we doing here? Why are we here? What are we doing? What does it mean? <laughs> of course, Gary Oldman, who's the dumb one, is like... You know, uh, well, I foul. Well, the, the, the movie plays Rosencrantz so well in that Gary Oldman is kind of the dumb one, but he's constantly inventing things. Like they're oh, they're not he... actually part of the script no, itself. No, they're like um, but Da Vinci things. Yeah, like, they're like well, he he you know early on suddenly he, he's like making a sandwich or something, and then all of a sudden it's like a triple decker burger with a little pick in the top or you know he's playing around with a pinwheel and suddenly he invents the steam engine and he, like just like every third or fourth scene mm -hmm. he just randomly invents something while talking and it's no big deal and tim roth who is supposedly the smarter one just kind of swipes it aside or destroys it yep. because that that's not what it, we're doing it's that's not, not what we're doing now that and it, and yeah. that's a great idea too of like there's smart focusing on what needs to be done, but there's creative, which is, yeah, you're wandering off, but look at what you made along the way. Mm -hmm. For me, what I love about it is because I'm a theater major and I know Hamlet, mm -hmm. I love every time a scene from Hamlet occurs that it sweeps them up very mm -hmm. literally and in a way that they can't control what's happening and they are just carried along and it happens with force and speed and intensity like and then the minute that everybody exits and it's just the two of them like everything comes drifting to a halt and they sort of what just happened and they sort of just sit there anytime it's the two of them and we're off stage quote 
it's slow and it's contemplative and it's confused. And then Hamlet happens and they're just, oh my God, we have to do these things and these things are happening and it's so important. And then they everybody leaves and oh my God, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I love the comment about about the nature of Hamlet mm-hmm. because Hamlet is this seminal work of theater and literature. <laughs> it yes. is so important and weighty. And we're going to show that by just having it come in and just fucking bitch slap you every time. Well, and to, to, to add to the meta-ness as a theater major, like that's sometimes how I feel about acting because the script will come and do that to you when you're on stage you've got that shit behind you and you're just like there and you're in it and then you get off stage and you're like oh fuck now I have to go talk to my ex-boyfriend about this thing and like and so there was that level of it too (laughs) because sometimes they come off and they're just like fuck I don't want to do that again (laughs) it made me squeak hello dear listeners this is Melissa from the future or at least from a day different from the one that we recorded this episode on. When I was editing this, I quickly realized that our two-and-a-half-hour recording session just wasn't going to be whittled down into a one-week, single-bite podcasting slot like you're used to. So, instead, we have split this episode into two. So I hope you have enjoyed the start of our Metafilms discussion this week, and that you will return for the thrilling, considerably drunker conclusion next week. Thank you for joining us, and see you next Thursday, folks. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown, and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Mac, 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 mac,